Hey there. This is the next to last episode of 2020. That's exciting. That's so exciting. Now, you probably heard something different last week in the episode with Scott Erickson. And if you go back in the archives, you'll probably hear something different as well. So I wanted to give a little bit of clarity there. Uh, my intention was that in 2021, I would begin to pilot maybe running a few ads on the show because as the show continues to grow, it does get more expensive and the patrons cover the bulk of that, but not all of it. So you're going to see a little divesture there. And um, I appreciate you bearing with me while I figure it out, because like everything with this show, it's all new to me. Every single thing that I do is something I've never done before. So here's what we'll have. You're gonna have a few ads mixed into the show on occasion. It maybe will or maybe will not happen every show. If that's something that you don't want, if you're like, yeah, I'm not interested in that, the patron supporters of the show will always have a 100% ad-free version of the show, as well as an unedited version of the show and at different levels, possibly even the video version of the show. So thank you for bearing with me with that. It's bar for the course, I think, for most um, podcasts. And it, it took me a while to, to come to a decision to do that. But I would love your feedback on that and appreciate your, your understanding there and, and working with me. Feel free to fast forward through the ads if you want to or don't. Maybe there's something nice. I have no idea. So there's that. Oh, one last final announcement. So this week and the next week are the last weeks to get any discounts out of the store for the podcast. Just use promo code FU2020 because FU2020, two weeks away, and you'll get 15% off of everything in there. If you are a supporter on Patreon, you'll get a 20% discount, but you do have a different promo code. So don't forget about that. All right, that's all out of the way. Here we go. Jennifer Trentley is a friend of mine. She's someone that um, I have grown closer and closer to as this year has gone by. She's freaking brilliant. And I love her perspective that she often brings as we talk about things theologically, not just in this episode, but in text messages and in just in everything. Like she's just fantastic woman. And I'm overjoyed to bring this conversation to you. So here we go with another installment of the Patreon Conversations with Jennifer Trent. Jennifer, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm excited to put more than a Marco Polo face that I'm four weeks behind on. I don't know how many weeks 20 videos is, but it's, yeah, I'm, I'm horrible. But welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm glad to know you, and I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you. I've been looking forward to this, and I, I hope I haven't, like, put, like, too much, uh, too much pressure on you to get this done. I... I just kind of wanted to do it. <laughs> no pressure at all. I mean, I can say no. <laughs> so no, no pressure <laughs> at all. Um, but yeah, a lot's been happening since we first started. I mean, so I went to Texas and back and a bunch of other things. So, um, and a few people have reached out and you've been consistent in that. So I do want to thank you for that. It's been, it's been a big help. Um, yeah. Well, you're, you're welcome. I'm, I'm very big about, because I've been through some things in my life enough to realize that, you know, everybody has their family and they have their inner circle, but sometimes it's really good to have some people that don't really know the inside scoop to, to mm -hmm. just in on you. And I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I just have a sixth sense sometimes when who, who the people are that kind of need that. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was always, yeah, it was good. Very good. Well, you're welcome. 
tell us a bit about you. So, um, yeah, the patron conversations are always the most difficult for me um, because there's just, you know, just don't know a lot about each other. So tell me, tell us, tell all, all of everybody a bit about you. Okay. Well, currently I live in Jackson, Tennessee with my husband and my two cats and I'm a spiritual director, which I've been doing, I've been doing it since 2014, but really more seriously in the last year because I work from 2015 until May of last year, I was working on a master's in Christian spirituality through Oblate School of Theology and San Antonio. So my, my basic approach to spiritual direction is an idea of surrounding soul care and helping people figure out how God works for them. And I mean, most of the people that come to me are people who are kind of in some kind of something's happened in their life or they're in some kind of position where they're by themselves or whatever. And, you know, they just think they're, well, they're like a lot of people that listen to this podcast. They think they're crazy. You know, they think they're crazy because their <laughs> approach to God doesn't fit anymore. And, you know, so I help, I meet most people. I meet with them once a month for an hour and the relationship can continue as long as they want. And, Generally, it's a form of deep listening, and the idea is is that the Holy Spirit is always present, and I'm there as a companion and a person to ask clarifying questions, not to give advice. So I'm not a, well, A, I'm not trained as a therapist, but also I'm not a therapist in that I'm not there to give you specific solutions or to guide you through particular method. I mean, a lot of people are in both therapy and, or they have a therapist and then they also come the spiritual direction. Mm. And it's also not, you know, it's not pastoral counseling or discipleship because it's not necessarily it's not generally focused on dogma or theological questions or, you know, my directly guiding you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have people, you know, that come out of very traditional church backgrounds to people who haven't been to church to people who really, you know, soul is a word that they use and they, I, I did a little bit of work with a gentleman last year who, you know, his term was the vortex. And so I have a whole range of people who are drawn to my work. Mm. And um, it's, it's always intriguing to me, and you might understand this, but when I talk about being a spiritual director or even about my master's in Christian spirituality, it's a it's church people who get big eyes and tell me things like that's nice for you. It's people outside of the church who are, or on the fringes who are curious. Yeah. 
And so mainly a lot of what I do is, is help people figure out a way to communicate and have a relationship with God that fits them. That's outside of the box. You know, you don't have to read the Bible for an hour. You don't have to read 10 verses of scripture. You don't have to pray for 20 minutes, you know, um, kind of throw out all the rules. Yeah. So a couple just clarifying questions. Did you finish your master's? Yes, I did. I graduated in last May, in May of 2019. And then where is Jackson, Tennessee? So when I drive from Virginia home to Texas, like I start at um, like Knoxville, Bristol, and then go the long right. corners, the, 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 bad, the bad corners, because there's a shorter way to get through Tennessee. Where is, I don't know where Jackson is. Okay, so if, if, if you are coming down... 81. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to where the 81 I 40 split is? You yeah. Know what I'm that was the way about? I would go is 81, 40, 30, 20 to get home. Okay. So if you're coming across on 40 West, you know, you hit Nashville mm-hmm. and Jackson and then Memphis. So basically, I've never paid attention. You paid my, you passed my exits. You could have come and stayed in the house. <laughs> I haven't made that drive in a long time. Now I fly. <laughs> yeah, I, fly. I, I totally, I totally get it. It's a very long, it's a very long drive. Yeah. 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 I think the last time I did it, I drove from Midland all the way to Knoxville. Yeah. Bef- no. Yeah. No. Kings. Port Kingsville, Kingport, King, yeah, Kingsport. There's a yeah. big rest area there. Um, I passed out there. It was about 18 hours. I just drove straight through and mostly pounded Dr Pepper and Red Bull, um, and 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 made it. And then yeah, I think I was getting back for a midterm or something like that. It was back in college. I think it was the last time I drove it for a yeah. Though I may have to make a trip back out. I have to pick some stuff up um, from Texas in the next year or so, and you can't put that on a plane. So got to go out there and get no. some things. Um, uh, that word vortex causes me pause, although I'm sure it works great for that guy. Vortex to me is an inherently chaotic word. Like all I think of when I think of vortex is tornadoes. That's all I think of, though there are other ways to think about vortex. Um, I don't know what word I would give it, but I, I'm glad that works for him. What is, so you talked about soul care and you use the word soul as well. Um, before I hit, before I hit go. So what is the soul and what do you mean when you say soul care? The part of you that connects with spirit, you know, it's, it's not your, it's not your intellect and it's not your heart where your emotions link in, but it's that place where there's our, you know, the divine inside of you that place where we as human beings you know seek out a power greater than us or higher than us Mm. define the inverse of that what's the inverse of soul care like how does someone how do you diagnose someone is needing soul care like what is happening in me if like in a conversation you're like well here's what we need to do what is what does that look like i'm not necessarily giving giving advice Seth. I mean, if I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of, uh, of an example. Um, so, you know, so I've been working with someone who's a Episcopal deacon 
And this person also works a, another 40 hour a week job. And she has a role in the church where she's serving and then she works this 40 hour a week job. And so she's trying to figure out, well, how do I care for myself so I can offer something to the, to when I do preach on Sundays or when I do go out and visit people or, you know, I'm part of the feeding ministry or, or whatever. Mm. So for some people, it's kind of helping them figure out where it fits in their life. And then other people have been doing, I mean, I have another person who's been doing a lot of reading, some mystics, some people like Matthew Fox and some other people. And, you know, this, this person is just trying to find their own way of connecting with God. And so, you know, I, I use the term, um, with most people, a way to care for your soul is to approach things contemplatively in a way that slows them down. In other words, if you're going on a contemplative walk, it's not for exercise. Hmm. It's a time for you to notice and to pay attention and to, to listen. I like that. I'm stealing that sentence. I'm making it mine. Plagiarizing that, that if you're going on a contemplative walk, it's not. I like that. Um, yeah, yeah. How has your faith shifted um, in the past decades? Like the the way that you view God now versus kind of the the God that you were raised with, if you were raised with a God at all. Yeah. Well, I'll preface this by saying, um, Seth, that for most of my life. My issues have never been with God. They've been with the church. Mm. I was given a faith at a very young age. My mom, you know, taught me to pray, dear Jesus, and gave me a very practical, like, you know, Jesus is your friend. And in learning scripture, you know, I remember memorizing this, this psalm and about God, God being my refuge and her using that in terms of my being scared of the dark at a young age. It was very, it was very practical. And for the most part, as far as the way I was raised, I did encounter, you know, overall a loving, a loving God. It was really as I got older and was trying to figure out where, where I fit in, in Christendom, because at first I thought that the church that I had grown up in wasn't a place that I fit, because by the time I got to high school, and I remember this incident very clearly, was we were talking about different things that the youth group was going to do next year, and I mentioned something connected with the Bible and several of the kids threw ice cubes at me. And so, so I was in this, you know, mainline denomination church that I learned about social justice and love and mission in terms of feeding people and outreach. And some of the people there did Bible study. 
so I was drawn to kind of what some of what your listeners and what Glenn's listeners on the What If Project have grew up in and are trying to deconstruct from. I was drawn to that evangelical, mm. more narrow world because I thought, well, you know, these people do a whole lot more, you know, Bible study and um, they don't drink. And my, my father was an abusive alcoholic. And, you know, I see this quality and that quality. But then I realized, wait a minute somewhat naively I didn't see some of the other stuff for a while like they don't ordain women yeah I always grew up all the churches I grew up in ordained women I always saw women in ministry and so that was that was a crazy idea Mm. and I you know discovered the whole like creationist thing and I was like I don't take the Bible literally and I've never seen the Bible and science at odds with each other. And so then I had to figure out where I, you know, kind of where I, I belonged. And I guess you could say maybe my, my intuitive knowing and my life experience has always kind of, put me in a place where I've sort of felt like I'm on the edge of the church. Yeah. How is that in the middle of Tennessee then? Well, so currently, well, this is, this is West Tennessee where I am in Jackson. Okay. So West Tennessee, Memphis, the part of Tennessee that I live in is like more the Mississippi Delta, think cotton, think soybeans, think flat. And it's very conservative. And so my husband and I belong to an Episcopal church. And so the bulk of our community thinks we're too liberal and we don't read the Bible. (laughs) Because of the church you go to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, as Episcopalians, not only do we ordain women, but you know, we ordain and marry gay people. Mm. So we surely have it all wrong. (laughs) But part of, part of for me, why I am where I am, well, it's two reasons. One is that I've had some life things happen where liturgy and the connection to the ancient church has become very important to me. It's a place where I find grounding Mm. and so the liturgy of the Episcopal Church combined with the fact that it's very inclusive and provide a wide umbrella is comfortable for me. Mm. Does that mean that everybody in my church in Jackson really gets, you know, had any interest in my master's in Christian spirituality or have asked me a whole lot of questions about spiritual direction? No. And that's also, too, why my um, degree is in Christian spirituality, Seth. I actually, for a while, when I was in the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church, I thought that I was being called to be a pastor, and I did some lay preaching for several years. In fact, some of those sermons are posted on my 
blog if you go back to 2013, 2014, 2015, sermons are there. But um, I guess two reasons. One, becoming a spiritual director, because that's really was a one-on-one relationship, but also in terms of starting to connect and having silence become more important to me and connecting with mystics and connecting at a point in my life when I was in pain, connecting with Thomas Merton and Henry Nowen and other other people that have been mentors that taught me a lot about that mm-hmm. was the fact that there's so much so much risk richness in those ancient rhythms and that we've thrown a lot of the you know baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. You know, there's so many things that we've missed and and so um it was great. I loved it. It was academically challenging, but it was also um, it was also pastoral and uh, yeah. practical, and you know, deeply um, deeply spiritual and soul piercing at times. And so that's something that I that I feel like is also a unique sort of thing that I bring to my work in terms of. You know, a lot of some spiritual directors are connected with retreat centers. Some people, you know, are more focused on the Enneagram or they're more focused on the exercises of St. Ignatius or they bring some other kind of. And for me, with bringing the having this Masters of Christian Spirituality and knowledge of mystics and the connection, I feel like I have a lot of tools in my toolbox to talk to people about spiritual practices and making connections and finding, you know, finding ways to experience spirit and that it's a whole lot bigger than we know. Can you go further in that? So you say you know, some of the ancient or, or older mystics and, and then just some of this. So like for Ignatian spirituality, we talk about like the examine and then right. the Enneagram is very popular at the moment. So I think that that's pretty self-evident. So what would be some of the other practices that you would have people kind of, you know, Hey, give this a go. This is different. Like, how does that, con- like, does, is it connect to liturgy or is liturgy more of a church thing just by well, itself? It's, 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 it's both the, um, well, first I'll say this one piece of Ignatian spirituality that some people forget about besides examine is also, there's a there's an imaginative part of putting yourself in in the story approach of praying and studying scripture, and then of course there are the the prayer the prayer practices and um, you know the the rhythms in the rule of Saint Benedict he was Saint Benedict was the one that developed the divine hours and so you have the seven the set praying the seven times a day which they still do in many catholic monasteries around the world the episcopalians went to four fixed hours of prayer and then there are many other groups now in terms of how how this has been revitalized that have various um uh, approaches to morning and, and evening prayer. 
but the in the traditional divine hours it's a beside the the prayers it's a praying of the psalms really you pray all 150 psalms over the two weeks Hmm. and the idea of benedictine spirituality the basic concept is is that there are there's this sacred rhythm of work of work and play and reading and rest and prayer and then there's also an element of that there's no separation between the secular and the sacred you know think of i don't know if you've ever heard of brother lawrence's past practicing the presence of god and he talks about Mm -hmm. you know experiencing the presence of god while washing dishes so this very contemplative um, approach to um, approach to living, and also the idea in Benedictine spirituality is that is the idea of always beginning again. Beginning again? How? What do you mean? Like beginning again? Like tomorrow? Like the next hour of pr- like what do? You, what ended? What ended that I'm? What ended? tomorrow or with God or, or whatever happened, you can start over. Mm. Okay. There's always a clean slate. Mm. So one of the downsides of growing up in an evangelical only read the Bible thing is my lack of knowledge when it comes to any of the early, early, early church outside of you have to memorize the you know apostles creed or the Nicene creed. And outside of that, those are the only ones that we need because that's what's in our worship music. Um, so, yeah. Well, and and the other, so, so you know, that's where the liturgy comes from. And then also just the, the traditions of, you know, of companioning people and of accompanying people and of bringing in, you know, Hildegard, who was um, a German abbess in the monastery she founded, you know, the very, the interesting thing about her is, is when you start studying her work, she did all this work around science and around healing and around music and medicine. And she has this concept of connecting with the earth called Verities, V-E-R-I-D-I-T-A-S. And it has to do with the idea of greening. And so it's a, it's a connection it's con- it's a you know it's a connection a way of experiencing mm. the earth and so that's that's the other thing is is that there's this whole within these early mystics there's a whole christian intellectual tradition i mean these these people were some of the most well educated people a lot of them yeah and of course have the desert really early which i did my master's thesis on a fourth century monk who was in the desert of vagrius ponticus but the desert mothers and fathers and the the desert tradition of desert spirituality of course which arose out of christianity at about that time you know well i mean it's sort of some of what you talk about on your show steph you know, these people went to the desert because Constantine made Christianity legal. And all of a sudden it was getting watered down. Mm. 
And so you have these desert mothers and fathers out in the desert and people, eventually people started coming to them and seeking out the wisdom that from them and what they were learning. And yet they would go to the desert and most of them, you know, they lived on their own and they lived very, very, um, very, very simple lives. And yet, you know, they have a lot of practices which makes, which make a lot of sense, which if we consider them, um, you know, in, in context of our current world. And this is, this is also taken from one of my mentors, um, Christine Walters Painter, who operates the online Abbey, Abbey of the Arts. She's a Benedictine oblate. So she's like a lay person associated with a Benedictine monastery. Anyway, she talks a lot about the practice of stability and of course, in a monastery sense, or when you join a convent, it's your commitment to stay there. Well, in our sense, you know, she talks about our practice of stability is, is do, you, do you know the area around you? Or are you always running away to somewhere else? You know, you go on vacation exploring over here, but do you, are you really connected to where you live? Hmm. And are you, again, literally or figuratively, what are you running away from? Yeah. There's many different dimensions. And there's many people who have brought some of these. She's she's dead now, but there's a Benedictine nun, uh, Macrina Whitaker, and she wrote a book entitled Seven Sacred Pauses. And basically, it takes this praying seven times a day and basically kind of gives you a way to pause seven times a day in, like, using like little five minute versions mm. and in spiritual direction. Sometimes I'll talk to people about that. Like, okay, well, how can you take a safe pause during the day? You know, if you're feeling, you know, even, even in the most strict business environment, go and take yourself to the restroom for 20 seconds and just slow that process down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do that often. I find I go to either the safe deposit vault or the safe deposit vault viewing area because there are no cameras and it's always a secluded part of the bank. Uh, usually quiet. That's that's my that's my refuge. That's my refuge at the bank. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Give me a minute. We'll be right back. of my favorite quotes that I have and I have no idea if she said it because I just took it from the internet but I've had it for years I keep it written down I have it at work as well um, is from Hildegard and I don't know how to say the last part it's like Hildegard of ben- Bengen or Ben yeah um, but it's something to the effect of and I don't have it in front of me of there is the music of heaven in all things or something like that yeah. which I have kind of written down as a maximum mostly for when I get really angry at things that I want to control. And I'm like, no, it, it reminds me to kind of look for, there's got to be something. Something is good here. I don't know what it is. Something, something is good here. So, so there's a lot of varied um, 
there's a lot of varied connections and there's a, a whole lot more things that, you know, we, we don't realize. I mean, for example, when I studied Evagrius, I mean, specifically in his writings, he talks about looking at scripture from both a literal and an allegorical mm. sense, you know, and there's also this idea of that, that his approach was that literally sort of this fluidity that you would almost become one with it. And that was part of also too the idea of the monks that it was, it was not so much a, a memorization as it was a meditating or absorption of scripture that made a difference in how you lived your life, not a straight intellectual um, memorization. But if you go somewhere um, like the Abbey of Gethsemane where Thomas Merton was and you go and you stay in their retreat house, you can go to all of the prayer services that the monks do. At the beginning, and I don't know if I was hitting record yet, but I want you to work them in because I don't ever get asked questions and I'm curious what your questions are. So you said you often ask people two or three questions. What are those? Let's let's do those. Put me on the spot. Okay, well, usually my main three questions are, how is your soul doing? Where do you see God? And where are you resisting God? I'm going to give these a go. I'm already upset about the last question, though. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> <laughs> Most people are. <laughs> um, but it does bring to mind something from a while back. So how is my soul doing? Um, I don't know. It, it varies day to day. Today's been good. The weekend was good. Today's been good. I think I think that answer could change every single day for me. Um, life feels easier these last few weeks than it has in a while. So that's good. I don't know if that's me. Yeah. I think I just honestly stopped caring as much about things that I could no longer control. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Overall, these last few weeks have been much better than the bulk of the year. <laughs> so yeah, I've yeah. I don't know of a better way to say it than that. So do you think you've been paying attention to God more or where do you see God then in the ways these things have been better or easier? Have I been, so I don't know that I've been paying attention to God more. I think I have been less distracted. So I've gotten back into older practices where on my way into work, I drive about an hour back and forth from work. Yeah, I used to always not listen to anything. So I could just sit there and think. And I stopped doing that. So that's something that I started back at the beginning of, um, towards the end of September. And that's been really helpful. Yeah. It also is really helpful that this is a beautiful time of year in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So it's almost impossible to not see just wonder and beauty and splendor. As I mean, the other day, Jennifer, there was like, I live at the top of a jet, the top of the mountain that I live at, there's running lights on the road because there's fog there two to three weeks out of every month enough that they literally wow. have installed running lights down the road so that people stay on the road. Wow. Some days, though, that fog looks like it's literally moving like an ocean over the mm. top of the mountain while the sun is coming up. And I'll just have to pull over wow. and then I'll pray and I'll be late to work and I'm the boss, so it's fine. And, you know, it's not fine, but you know what I mean. So, but there's been more joy, more things to be happy for, if that makes sense, than... Yeah. than yeah. yeah, the rest of the year has been so tense. I don't know if that's soul, though. 
Um, I, but I, that's the closest answer I can get. And then where do I see God? So lately I've seen God in watching my kids play and laugh and giggle just amongst the three of them. For some reason, the last few weeks, there's been a lot less arguments and they literally are just playing. Like over the weekend, my two oldest decided to ride bikes together, which is the first time that I have never had to force them to do it. And so they just like just rapturous playfulness. Um, and I just sat out there in the front yard just watching them. It was yeah. blissful. It was beautiful. So loving. My wife got home and she's like, what are y'all doing? And then the kids drove by. And so we all just sat out there. Um, it's, it's great. Yeah. yeah. And then the where are you resisting God? It, it is all the election. Like I feel drawn away from people. And I think that everybody is a little bit of God. And so I feel guilty drawing away from people that I just can't have conversations with just because of the way that we view the way a country should be run. Um, which, and I'm slightly ashamed of that. Very, actually, more than slightly ashamed of that. And yet there's an aspect to that set that's also very nurturing and is also very much you know, following Christ. I tell people all the time, you know, what did Jesus do after being with crowds of people? Well, he withdrew and he prayed and he slept, you know, and we don't know what all those times he was dealing with. Mm. We don't know Christ like, you know, there's a big difference between like and love. We don't know that he liked everybody, right? And, and there's also, you know, and when you were talking about your silence on the way to work, that's a practice that I, that I encourage a lot of people to do a lot is if that's a time of day where people can find silence is to build some silence in your life. But also getting back to a comment that you made about experiencing joy and then being happy. So how do you see those two being different? Mm. So I think joy is watching things happen that I'm not a part of and finding happiness in that. And I think being happy, so if joy is the fuel, happy is the gas mileage, if that makes any sense for a broken metaphor. So like joy fills up the tank of happiness, if, if that makes any sense. And so if you don't, I think if, you, if I'm not finding joy, right. I just become really yeah. belligerent and sarcastic in a horrible way. And... Right. Um, just not a good person to really be around. And you can ask my wife. I have those days or weeks or maybe months. I, everybody has those days. But I think I think there's a big difference. Between, I think joy is 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 the fuel um, that that creates happiness. So so do you think you can have joy without being happy? Then I don't know how, but I guess maybe somebody could. I for me at this moment, I'm not sure how. Well, if you. I guess one of one of the things, you know, that, that I've become more convicted of, particularly over the last six years and during my time that I've really delved into Alexander Shia's work is the idea of both and. Mm-hmm. It's both joy and suffering. And that most of the time I can't separate. I can't separate the two. It's both that, you know, crossing the stormy seas in, in Mark and, you know, abiding in the garden in John. It's, it's both of those. Mm. 
and I've lived in those places a lot. And you were talking about the way that my faith has changed. I think, you know, when I came to Alexander's work and Heart and Mind, actually, when I read and got to know him initially, Heart and Mind didn't exactly exist. But those four, those four questions just it just, I had reached a very difficult place and I had reached a place where I was really feeling like, you know, pretty dry and not a lot of things were making a lot of sense. And, and it really like put the gospel in a whole new perspective for me. And, and I use those questions a lot with people. I will just say, well, you know, my mentor, Alexander John Shia, he looks at the Gospels. And have you ever thought about, you know, that, that this, of looking at it this way? And I, I use them a lot in my own life and my own, my own journey. It's very, yeah, it's very earthy and very dirty. And, and yet it, I mean, it, it fits. I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't have it any other, wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. I do joke with Alexander and I say, you know, if I had known what I know now, I'm not sure that, you know, I would have gotten into all of this because it, it's been a lot messier and a lot more painful than I wanted it to be. That is, that is accurate. Um, I find that, and um, Alexander and I have talked about this in the past, I I intentionally choose one of the binaries because it's easier for me to deal with. It's just, it's just easier. And sometimes when I'll be talking with him, he'll be like, you're, you're missing it. Stop, stop it. It's, it's this. And other times, other times, you know, um, it's easier than others. I think it depends on what's, what's happening in my life. Um, but that awareness of it is, is the hardest part uh, because it's so easy to fall back into this side or the other. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's easy to to see the change that you're facing. I think Mark is difficult, and I think staying in John is so easy. That's where I want to stay. It's just resting in the garden. I don't need to do anything. Yeah. Other people do things. Um, that's where I need the prodding. The other three almost makes sense, but it's the prodding, the the do something, the the maturing in service. That's the um. That's the hard part. But those both ands, you know, I think it was a couple years ago, I heard Brian McLaren speak, and I think he was the first one I heard this term, and I use it a lot in spiritual direction, and I've written about it on my blog, is term, you know, I live in a space of holy uncertainty. And, you know, I talk about that with my directees, can you become, you know, comfortable with the idea of, you know, holy uncertainty, and the idea that both light and dark have limits and that light can be just as dysfunctional and toxic as dark. Mm, yeah. I've been playing with light and dark a lot lately. So I'm going to, let me, I'm going to read you something I just wrote and I'll probably leave this. Okay. I'll probably read this in the episode, leave this in the episode. Cause I'm too lazy to edit it out. I only edit out sneezes or whatever. I, I try not to edit out much. Um, where is it at? Right. Yeah. So I've been writing and yeah. I've sent you different outlines along the way. Yeah. So there's a, a term called chiaroscuro. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. Um, it's an artistic term. So like if you're, if 
you're going to draw a portrait of something. It's the effect that light and shadow has on all observable reality. Now, for art, mm-hmm. it would be like if you're looking at me, like it would be this line right here. I'm just looking at you know, um, but I see that as a spiritual thing too. Like, like, mm. what do you see under a very bright light, and then also what do you see under a very, a, a very um, absence of light? Like, in all of the thing in between. Yeah. But in art, what they would teach us to do is squint your eyes so that everything is blurry, and the line begins begins to you can see all of the intricacies so that you can more easily adequately descript it. And that's the part what? of God that I've been trying to see lately, like the blurred lines. And that's where I stopped writing. Um, but that's like, I don't, I, I don't know a better way to, I, I still haven't figured out the words on how to voice it. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a lot of what many mystics, you know, struggled with that whole idea of how do I be authentic and how, how do I be my true self versus false self? And how do I, you know, approach mystical union and you know just this very this very deep you know whole this very deep you know holistic um connection you know another thing that i think a lot about seth is when i when i'm struggling with where i'm at or what's going on i think about Teresa of avalon in her writing um in, she uses the phrase, she talks about, she uses one of those phrases from Song of Solomon, and she tells some of her, you know, she's the head head nun, and she's telling some of the sisters below her, well, you know, God's put you, God's put you where he has. He's put you in the wine cellar where he wants you. Hmm. You know, that, that's another thing that I love about the, um, uh, the, the mystics and the ancient church is, is that they're a whole lot more comfortable with that wisdom literature than we are. You know, a whole lot more mention of Proverbs and Ecclesiastics and Song of Solomon on, on a whole lot of levels. Yeah, I was watching a, a YouTube video of of Rob Bell the other day, and it was I don't know which one it was. It's I didn't even know it was there. Someone sent it to me, and it was on Ecclesiastes, and he went all over the place talking about dogs and you know the way Rob does whatever Rob does. Um, yeah. Some days I'm in the mood to listen, and other days I'm not. Um, but he kept having this one part, and since then I've said it a lot enough times that my family's annoyed with it. Of the what's it matter? We're all gonna die. But the way he says, it, he's like, we're all gonna. So let's just. Let's just have another drink or one more laugh or one more hug because yeah. we're all going to die. And oddly enough, that doesn't make me feel bad. Like it actually makes me feel good, if that makes any sense at all. But yeah, that wisdom literature. Oh, it, 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 makes, it makes sense because, you know, in a lot of ways, it's all about, it's all about priorities. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, the other podcast that I listened to regularly or well I've started listening to regularly now that I listen to them either while I'm walking or I have because we move kind of outside of town I have about a 20 minute drive into town so I listen on the days I go into town to run errands 
but is one called Encountering Silence. And they were doing a interview the other day with someone who was talking about the idea of, well, he was talking about it from a science perspective that, you know, if you're truly a scientist that when, when you're approached with a question that even if it's a millionth and one time that you're going to take a fresh look at it. And I got to thinking about, you know, that's how, that's how our, in terms of, you know, our listening to God and our responding to other people and all of that, that every time we read something and every time we share something and every time we ask a question that it should always be that, that freshness, it should be like that millionth and one time, we shouldn't still be saying the same thing that we said back at 750 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no growth in that. No growth at all. Yeah. Do you ever look back at your old posts or blog posts or things that you've written? And you're like, I don't even know that person anymore. I do that often. Um, yeah. I mean, some, some things I can see glimpses of that. Um, you know, like I can definitely see that in my sermons. Mm. Some of the things that I put on my blog that are there um, related to my own um, journey, I I can see what I've what I've learned. Uh, for example, one of those there's a series of posts on my blog of my entire after a very um, difficult family situation in 2014, I took a two week driving trip by myself and I called it a pilgrimage because I stopped at friends and family. And in the middle of it was a retreat that I did a sacred rhythms of writing and yoga retreat that Christine Walters painter did in Cape May, New Jersey. And I have, I grew up in the Northeast and my husband grew up in the Northeast and well, I don't have family. His family is up there and I have friends and things. So I stayed and visited with a lot of different people, but I have, I have, I start on day one and the different things that I reflected on through the 14 days. And so if I go back and read that, like I, like that's more of a seeing seeing the growth. That's like, wow, this is where this mm. there is where this started. You know, I mean, it's the same. I mean, I can definitely see a very definitive line between, you know, the Christine Walters Painter has this book called The Way of the Monk, The Path of an Artist. And I did the course with her in 20. 12 online and I can definitely see a trajectory of how that led into my being a spiritual director and led into my master's program. And interestingly enough, the parallel with that was, is that I started being in contact with Alexander about the same time. And so the two of them together have kind of brought about this, this growth place and this very different place that I never thought I would, you know, mm. I never thought I would be in. Mm. I'll have to read her stuff. I've yet, I've never, I've not, I'm not even familiar with her name. I'll have to get into some of her stuff. Well, this is, this is, I lead two groups right now around this book. This is her latest book. Interestingly enough, it kind of fits with Rob's book. Everything is spiritual. 
because he mentioned so much about earth and outside and stuff. But anyway, earth as original monastery. But anyway, so so I can I can definitely um, see, you know, and there was a, I had an opportunity to be with some older women in a spiritual formation group. And I remember when I first started in that group, I thought, you know, some of these women are very quiet and but when they speak the wisdom and I really learned silence from them, um, I, I really learned how to kind of slow, but I don't always, I mean, I talk louder when I get excited. And if you and I were sitting together, probably I might be hitting you with my <laughs> gesticulate and, um, you know, that's, that's who, who I am on that trajectory of um, geography. Um, so I saw a post that you and your wife were on a date night and the location was listed as Staunton, Virginia. Mm-hmm. So it's not very far from you. Like how close are you? To Staunton? So they, they pronounce it Stanton here because they don't know how the English language Stanton, works. Yeah. Um, they're wrong. It, yeah. That, that's, it is, I lost that battle. That's what they say. So it's maybe... 15 minutes west. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So here's a story with that. When I first moved to Tennessee and my mom was in a place where she didn't have a lot of money and I didn't have a lot of money. There was one Thanksgiving where that's where we met at the Cracker Barrel. Mm, Off the interstate there. We stayed overnight in a hotel together and we had Thanksgiving at the Cracker Barrel. That's where the two interstates meet, Interstate 64 and Interstate 81. Yeah. 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 So I know that. I know all those. And I've made that trip many times. I know know all those, you know, I know all those 81 exits very well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, good. So last question. Um, Yeah. Just because my brain will falter if we go much much further. So, um, but probably not one that you're unprepared for, or maybe, but same question for everyone. Oh, yeah, I couldn't even tell you the question. (laughs) So, so what is the question then? This will be fun. You ask the question and then answer it, or I can ask you. Okay, if if I was going to tell people about God, what would I Mm -hmm. say or how to describe God? And so I've actually been contemplating this. And so what I came up with is that I would say that that God is the the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer who's always with you and who loves you unconditionally. Mm. Mm. I like it. I like it. It is a deceptively hard question, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, thank you so very much. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for your um, for your kind words as well, and for your prayers over these last few months. It's yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on, and thanks for that. Oh, you're you're welcome. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Am I a child? Am I a thief? I'm not sure what to be. Change and grow, but still I know you love both equally. Next week's it. It's the end, right? 
It's the end of the year. So I'm trying something new next week. We'll see how it goes. I do want your feedback. I'm so thankful for all of you that are listening. Please remember to rate and review the show. Jump in with the rest of the patron supporters if you want to. And uh, there are many, many perks to doing that. And hopefully next year, I'll figure out how to add more perks to that. And then finally, Spectre Jones, thank you so much for your music in this week's episode. You'll find links to their music in the show notes or at the playlist on Spotify and Apple Music for the show. I hope every single one of you, as you're listening to this, are staying safe for Christmas. You're with your family and it's full of joy and laughter. I will talk with you next week. Be blessed. When I make the choice Can't help thinking all of this was you He showed me that the door we opened was the proof And I forgot The air is thick with broken brick and bottles on the breeze And I know that you're calling me My name sounds bittersweet I'm so afraid to fight this fray but Sounds worse to me My eyes are open wide But I can't see the light you said would be I'm sitting still and waiting till